Fierce Women Writing is a partner of Quill's Edge Press, a small yet mighty nonprofit press dedicated to publishing the poetry of women who are at least 40 years old. Right now, I'm reading their anthology, entitled 50 Over 50, and they're currently accepting submissions for their next anthology. Learn more at quillsedgepress.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, a podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Dr. Chloe Schwenke. She's an experienced advocate and international development practitioner in LGBTQ human rights, gender equality and social inclusion, and governance, who's lived and worked in Africa and Asia for over 15 years. She's also a writer of creative nonfiction, essays, and blogs. Chloe's career has focused on international development with expertise in monitoring and evaluation, research, public policy, and international development ethics. She currently teaches as an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland, and she's also taught at three other leading American universities, and she was a Fulbright professor for one year in Uganda. Chloe's an active Quaker, and she has two children, Ian, who's 24, and Audrey, who's 19. Welcome to the show, Chloe. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Chloe, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? Um, (laughs) Being free from stress is the number one um, determinant for me in terms of being able to sit down and really let things flow. Um, I've found that I can feel very inspired to write and have a very clear sense of what I'm there to write about. But I really struggle to get a space that is free from stress and allows me just to be with myself and quiet. I'm pretty good at being quiet, but just to settle, to settle into a silence that I can put the stress away and just really concentrate on my writing. Why do you write? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. I think because I have to. I mean, it's as simple as that. And as, as weird as that, perhaps, I, I, I think, and therefore I write, if I could paraphrase. Um, I feel strongly and passionately about certain things, and I feel that my best sense of clarifying my own relationship to those things that I feel passionate about is to get it down and and write about it. And that started really from from blogging. Um, That's where I kind of came into doing a lot of writing, was just because I (laughs) got agitated about a lot of stuff and felt that I needed to connect with people, and to do that, I needed to write. What are your best writing tips? Well, I mean, it depends a lot on the genre that you're working in. I I work mostly in creative nonfiction, and I think that's a really distinctive kind of writing. I'm not the traditional creative novelist kind of person. There's a whole different discipline that goes into that. Um, I think my biggest tip for people who are in the creative nonfiction realm is to be able to connect with yourself, no matter where that takes you. And some of those journeys are not necessarily fun, but to be brave enough to be introspective, be willing to ask some really tough questions of yourself, 
um, to be good at that sort of introspection and then to be thoughtful and think through, is this really what you think? Because often your first blush, your first sense of, wow, this is what I think, is <laughs> if it's seasoned just a little bit, starts to change. So there's a, a body of thoughts that I'm more comfortable with, that I've spent more time with, that I've, you know, I'm, I'm more in possession of. And, you know, before I start thinking about issues that are I, I'm feeling led to write about, there's just a lot of time just sitting there and, and being with those issues, thinking with those issues, sometimes talking with friends and others about those issues, sometimes reading other thinkers and, and people that are provocative about those issues, but mostly it's getting into relationship with myself because that's where I'm writing from and to be clear in my thinking. What are your suggestions for someone trying to overcome a block? stop. I mean, I think you can't force it, uh, you know, go around the block, just walk, do something that, you know, if the more you concentrate in my experience, the more you concentrate on the block, the harder it is to overcome it. You know, go have a cup of coffee, go have a scotch. I don't care what you do, but you know, break, break the block. You've got to get yourself out of that situation and not be a victim of that situation. Um, you know, for me, it's, I, and perhaps it's really, really personal, but for me, it's either going to flow or it's not, and I can't force it. If the writing's not there to happen, it's the same with my public speaking, actually. I've learned to trust that if I get in front of people, um, the words will come. And I'm in that space most of the time when I'm supposed to be writing, um, and I the words do come, but there are times when it's just not there, and I can't force it, so I don't try. What about editing and revising tips? That's the hardest part. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the real craft part in the sense, you know, between the art and the craft. I think the craft comes at the editing because, you know, I put down a lot of stuff when I first write and I'm, I'm comfortable letting it just flow and knowing that I'm going to have to come back and do a lot of work. And that's my style of, of writing. I'm, I'm, it's more important for me to capture the essence of where my passion is leading me to write about was my relationship to the issue that I'm wrestling with and not worry about getting it perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable with my basic writing. I'm not embarrassed by what I write, but I know it can be a lot better. And that's the, that's the real craft side of writing. And I spend a lot of time um, after I've gotten a first draft and I'll do five or six drafts and I always sleep on it. I mean, I'm never, you know, sitting down doing something and, you know, pushing it out. That's the worst thing you can possibly do in my experience. For listeners interested in publishing, can you estimate your submission to publication ratio? You know, I again, I maybe I'm a little idiosyncratic on this, but I do a lot of research on publishers. I don't work with agents at all. Um, what I do is find the publishers that fit what I try to do. And there's not, I mean, I'm lucky a little bit because I mostly work with people in the LGBTQ plus space. Um, not entirely though, but mostly in that space. And I get to know the publishers I want to work with. And I kind of get to know from looking at their other publications what they're interested in. And I navigate my way to maybe five for any particular piece. And um, I go from there. And it's usually, I haven't had too much trouble in the with both of the books that I've published and certainly the articles that I've published um, in finding a space pretty quickly that way. I do a lot of chapters and edited volumes as well, and that's easy because they've done all the hard work of finding the publisher. They're just reaching out to me, the editors of that. Um, and then for shorter articles, you know, it's just 
it's it's mostly from people that I published for that will suggest that I contact somebody and you know they help me along in that. Who are some other women writers that we should be reading right now? Well, it depends what you like to read. Obviously, I'm I'm you know part of my escapism, I suppose, is I'm a really big what we used to call science fiction. Now they call <laughs> it speculative fiction. Um, I really like intelligent science fiction, the ability to create an entirely new and and convincing world around you is an enormously exciting adventure for me. And I don't know of anybody that's a whole lot better than N.K. Jemisin in that regard. She's really brilliant at the at the craft and, and art of writing speculative fiction. I think um, you know, some of her recent books, the, the Broken Earth trilogy I'm thinking of in particular, are just so powerful and so comprehensively persuasive and yet so far out there. I mean, the, the very limits of how to imagine a world that is, um, in her case, in this particular trilogy's case, connected to our own experience now, but so far in the future, in a, in a very apocalyptic future, that there's just the barest sort of threads of connection between what she's writing about and what your own lived experience is right now. But it's enough. And her ability then to fill that space with very believable and 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 really, you know, powerful characters in the sense of characters who are not having an easy time of it. <laughs> they're struggling. They're struggling really hard. They're grieving in some cases. They're feeling victimized. They're feeling violated. They're feeling hard done by. But they're also feeling their strength. They're really determined people. In most cases, the ones she's focusing on, they're survivors. And it's just really cool to see how she works in that space. Um, the other kinds of writers I like are, again, people that are really thought-provoking and, and to use a very old-fashioned word, people who are wise. <laughs> I love women who are wise women. And I'm thinking the one that I've gotten the most pleasure from recently is, is Cheryl Strayed. Um, her book, Tiny Beautiful Things, is just oozing wisdom. <laughs> She's got the advice of somebody who's been to rough places and is able to step back and and take that reflective pause and say, well, what about looking at it this way? <laughs> and what about sort of not being made a victim by the way you're seeing the situation, but how about doing this? And her book also, um, the book, what is it called? Wild, um, the one on the Pacific Crest Trail from, what is it, from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail. That's a beautiful piece of, of memoir writing and self-introspection. Um, that really talks about somebody who's, you know, it's an easy combination, a physical journey, but also a very deep spiritual journey in the truest sense of that word. And she ends up in a really different place than she started in every sense of that concept. Um, both of them are really, really wonderful. I also read a lot of poetry, and I think the one poet that's really, really moved me with her ability to grasp, um, again, hard situations is Lena Kalaf Tufaha. She's a Palestinian writer. And Lena Tufaha has written a lot about, you know, the situation in the Gaza Strip in the West Bank. And I, I lived and worked in the West Bank for, well, in Gaza particularly, for three years. So these bring back really poignant memories of the reality and the threat that you live with on a, you know, day by day, minute by minute basis. And the passion of the people that are part of that drama She's really able to capture that in a way that's really awesome. And where can listeners find you online? 
I have my own website. It's just chloemaryland.net. And I put a lot of stuff up there uh, of all kinds of things. I mean, there's some writings, there's some, um, you know, videos, there's a TED Talk, there's all that stuff. So, <laughs> and, and some of my Quaker stuff as well. You'll find a whole bunch of different things there. Would your book, program, product, or organization be of interest to the other listeners of Fierce Woman Writing? Advertise on the show and reach smart, creative people who love writing in books, just like you. For more info, there's links in the show notes to the contact page of my website or slide into my DMs on Instagram. Would you read some of your work for us now? I'd be delighted to, thanks. And I've got two pieces, one one a little bit long, but not really, and then a, I, one that I always read <laughs> whenever I do readings. So if you'll bear with me, I'll, do, I'll go through those two. Great, thank you. Um, this reading is, uh, you know, this was a, from my book, Selfish, A Transgender Awakening. So it's, it's the story of a transgender person and the, the experiences that I've encountered in my relationship to the world. And the reading starts, the sanity question persists. As far as I am concerned, no one in their right mind would ever want to be transgender. It's a terrible diagnosis to come to terms with. It takes years to adjust to such a new world and to undertake the transition journey. As transgender persons, we deal with enormous challenges, are subjected to bias and humiliation, labor through prolonged periods of insecurity and awkwardness, struggle to find employment, and often flounder in our attempts to cultivate intimate and caring relationships. Does anyone think for even a minute that if I could have wished this all away, I wouldn't have done so? Yet, for better or worse, being transgender is the central fact in my life, and I'm always coming to terms with that. My gender history won't ever go away, nor will my involuntary fixation with viewing the world through a complicated gender lens. It would be comforting to think of myself as some bold and intrepid soul who dares to do the impossible and made it to the other side of the gender transition in a perilous and uncharted frontier between the sexes. More realistically, and far less heroically, I did what I had to do to stay alive, often feeling powerless to avoid the collateral damage inflicted upon my whole family. I would have loved to have spared everyone, including me, the consequent pain, but I wasn't able. To stay alive, I needed to deal with it. Even when I became fully aware of some of the worst possible outcomes, that my own children would be deeply traumatized, that my spouse would be miserable, that my father would be perplexed and my siblings hugely unsettled, what were my options? Being transgender isn't a choice for anyone, and for me to have pretended to be a man for the rest of my life wasn't viable. Many people simply think transgender persons like me should go and get more therapy or man up and deal with it. All I can say in response is that it just isn't like that. If it were, I'd have been there. To be clear, I wasn't altogether unattached to being Stephen. I came to that realization in a moment of hard-edged clarity when I was driving back from the Prince George's County Courthouse in Maryland, having just filed the paperwork to become legally named Chloe. I had just obliterated my male name. I'd been so focused on all the procedures and fees, timing and legalities, and so distracted by worries about how the clerks would react, 
that I never stopped to think about what it might mean to me to no longer own the name of Stephen. I needn't have worried about the clerks. They acted as if this was a daily occurrence and went about the process with polite courtesy and efficiency. With a signature, a Chloe signature, I dumped my name. The enormity of the demise of the name I'd used for five decades didn't hit me until I was halfway home from that transaction. It hit me hard. I had to pull over onto the shoulder and let the tears flow. No one seemed to notice me. The impersonal traffic flowed past, and I was alone in a way I hadn't ever quite experienced before. Amidst the tears, I castigated myself for not having asked a friend to accompany me. A monumental threshold had been crossed, unwitnessed by anyone who cared for me. There would be other monumental moments on this journey, and each would be bittersweet, but this was the first. I stayed on that shoulder for a very long time, gradually picking up the lightness and feel of the new name and wriggling back into it. And the other reading is very short. It's just, and it's at the very end of my book. And it sort of gives you a sense of where this book is coming from and where I hope it's going to. In the end, the pronouns, stereotypes, and labels won't matter. We will stand or fall on our humanity and on our dignity. Refusing to accept our assertion of our gender is nothing less than a rejection of that humanity and that dignity after we've put it all on the line. While we won't bend to letting others define us, we do need to live, work, love, and play in a society of human beings. We are who we say we are, and while it isn't much to ask of others, it is everything to us. I am Chloe, except that I am here, female and very human, fierce yet vulnerable, tough yet sensitive, with a heart filled with love and warmth. I am at peace with who I am. I've struggled so hard for so long against such outrageous odds just to be able to write those words. I'm self-ish. I have to be. Find room in your heart for me and for transgender people everywhere, and your heart will grow. It's a pretty good deal. Thank you. That was a great interview. Thank you so much, Chloe. Thanks. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting Chloe's writing prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Chloe has created this writing prompt just for us. Okay, here goes. And this is just for a quick note of context. And you probably got the drift of it from just what I read. But being transgender is tough. And reading from a space of toughness and, and, and persecution and a lot of just crap that gets thrown at you is not always an easy place to write from. And you have to have a relationship to that. So here's the prompt. Um, even though people prefer to read about heroes and winners, try to own being less than or different from those who are celebrated. Write about your own experiences of being victimized and how you avoided identifying as a victim.
I'm so grateful that Dr. Chloe Schwenke agreed to be on the show this week. Wasn't it amazing to hear the pieces that she read from her memoir, Selfish, A Transgender Awakening? I can't wait to read it. I appreciated her conversational writing style and the honesty that she brings to the page. As a creative nonfiction writer myself, I know it can be challenging to go to the most tender places, and I think she showed us today how it's done. When she wrote about changing her name, that really struck me because I also had a meaningful name change after my divorce. Thinking about her experience and mine makes me want to explore names and the meanings we give them in my notebook later. I hope this episode gave you some things to think about too. Send me a message and let me know what you took away from this week's show. I also wanted to mention that I have two spaces available for private writing coaching clients in March. Working one-on-one with people to get them re-engaged with their writing practice is one of my favorite things. Send me a message if you feel ready to move forward, but also need some guidance, editing, and support. You've been listening to Fierce Women Writing. I'm your host, Sarah Gallagher. Tune in next Thursday for my interview with tarot expert and cookbook editor, T. Susan Chang. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at FierceWomenWriting. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.